Michael. How are you? How are you, mate? How are you, old cop? <laughs> How is the silly season treating you? I looked at my diary last week and computed nine separate events that I had to attend in a five-day five window. Uh, and then following that, I woke up on Saturday thinking, oh, the relaxing time. And then I looked in my diary and there was a music festival I had to go to as well. It was the lives and times. And the thing about that is that um, when I say I had to go to it, there's a statutory requirement that once a year the music festival roundtable has to convene at a music festival. And so it was the Good Things um, Festival in Centennial Park. Uh, it's a very different thing to be going to a festival for the purposes of a business meeting. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I can't actually imagine that, like go and have a, a, a meeting at a music festival with all the usual things that happen at a music festival happening around the studio. Yeah. i tell you what, though, we did a site. It's good because part of it's about making sure that the decision makers uh, around regulation and compliance and health and safety and my role actually are doing it with some experience of what they're <laughs> regulating or impacting. I mean, it sounds silly, but like it's, um, you know, not, that's just how the world works. Sometimes people don't necessarily get out to have a, a connection to the scene. So um, it's always good to go to those things. And this occasion, the crowd manager uh, actually walked us between the stage and um, the crowd. It was quite, um, so we were, we were in that um, first time for everything, right? We were in that uh, otherwise clear section between the stage and the crowd. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, I felt the I felt the kick drum in the chest. That is that is for sure. <laughs> Good though, right? like you know, for a long time, and maybe I'm oh, I'm definitely commenting as an observer. Like the perspective of people in the industry is that the laws or decisions are made by people who aren't in it and don't feel it and don't understand what it's like to be in, you know, wanting those kind of experiences. So whether that's music from a venue or a festival, whatever it is, so it's good that you actually, you know, the decision makers are in that environment when it's actually happening to actually see how it influences people that enjoy it and maybe get a sense for what they're talking about or just deciding on. It's kind of how my journey with all this started. I, I just started taking MPs out one by one <laughs> to small bars saying this is this is this is your law lockout this is and this is the impact of it so sit with me at midnight and watch how we now can't order a cocktail because it's gone past midnight so or you know these types of um, things that existed once upon a time and without living that experience and then you know following me down Oxford Street to get to the next bar that was just about to shut to just try and dodge the closes it and then then i'd be saying things like oh don't worry i was just with the head of engineering for sonos last week had flown in from la and i gave them exactly the same experience and that's what that's how we're marketing sydney and so i think um really early on that my insight was get people into the environments particularly because there is so much nuance between venues and festivals and things and oftentimes if you just read what is in the media it's one view and even then is it accurate versus the lived experience of the city so uh, uh yeah i think it's it's kind of why you have a commission it's why you have like that's what the rationale is really it's to have a voice for the industry inside and so i i tend to take every opportunity to take individuals out where i can to these environments and and observe um that's how i've learned myself so uh not a bad pursuit for someone who enjoy in these nightlife anyway. Find another reason to be out. <laughs> so, so, sometimes you've got to pinch yourself. It's like, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's like. That's how I feel about this, Michael. Who's, who's, is this, is this, it's, it's, um, it's my service to the city knows no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no curfew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess to give people, we're not going to do an intro. This isn't a formal, um, you know, you're the guest today and, and, uh, all context for people who are listening, who are listening, if there are any. Um, we obviously had lunch two days ago and decided to record this, and I thought it would be good to cover what you in your office have done over the last um, year. It's a year and maybe three months or six months since you've been in the role. Positions been made statutory, correct terminology? Yeah. Yeah, statutory appointment, um, and new reforms have been passed. So I thought it would be good to just cover, in case people have not clocked what has been done, um, what is now 
and approved and um, give people insight as to you know exactly what that looks like for operators. Yeah, so I think um, I'll focus just on the vibrancy reforms element of the work because it's um, uh, it's quite substantial in itself. It, um, this is in addition to the program work we do around Uptown and Purple Flag and local council development. Um, but as we all know, the regulatory landscape for operating live venues in New South Wales hasn't really had a good review for a while. And if anything, the last time... Um, a change was made, a substantial change was made. It was really to lift lockout laws, which occurred in the middle of a pandemic and so kind of almost went unnoticed in a sense that lockout was lifted. And I'd always contended that you can lift lockout, but that it won't get the job done. It's not as simple as that. There's a whole bunch of things that need to happen to breathe life back into the city. So in amongst that, um, and pursuant really to the incoming New South Wales government, led by Premier Chris Minns and Minister John Graham as the Minister for Nighttime Economy. The, I've been steering what's called the vibrancy reforms, which really from about June this year, I worked cross government with transport, health, police, um, liquor and gaming, uh, local government and planning as a all of government approach to seeing what changes we could make to, as the minister puts it, allow Sydney to achieve its potential. And so it's quite a big suite of reforms um, and I, for me, in living memory, it's absolutely the biggest reform that New South Wales has seen to the space. It's before we get into it, just to say that this it won't stop here. The this was the stuff that we could get done this year and put through Parliament. The brief very much is to go again in the in the new year with more reforms. And so, in some ways, what we've been able to get across the line is really where there was broad agreement in government that change could be made. And um, really to achieve the goal of both a fun city but a safe city um, because those two things don't need to be mutually exclusive really. So and my, my job is really to make is the balance in that, it's a balancing act between, you, you know, the ambition for a city that's lively but without comp- and without particularly going back to the scenes of King's Cross in 2012 really. That's the, that's the um, high or low point really I think in some ways for the city like what we got to there, how do you – kind of have these these worlds move so that it, it functions without without jeopardizing people's um, safety so like there's six broad themes for the reforms um one's the crowd play, favorite seems to have been the sound and noise management piece that's the first the government's got a i'll just give you the top line on them then we can jump into them if you like um there's the sound and noise management then I guess a more considered approach to entertainment precincts or precincts where um, people can go out, taking advantage of our active outdoors and our great weather here in Sydney for the main part. Then there's been a whole raft of changes to the Liquor Act, um, which uh, I'll touch on some of them, but all that information is now available online just to bring it, to modernise it really, to, you know, bring us into the 21st century in some ways. Uh, and then um, the last bit, which is I'm quite excited about and keen to talk about really is how we go about really thinking about the amenity of the city for those people who work at night. And um, why should anyone who uh, works at night have any less amenity of a city if they need a haircut, if they want to do some shopping, if whatever the case is, you shouldn't be constrained because you simply, you work at night. So how do we get to the city to function in, in a way that everyone has equity? So they're the six. Um to, yeah, and and uh, laws went through Parliament. Oh, sorry, that was five. The fifth was 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 um is the role change for me, which is the statutory appointment, which is quite exciting because it really sets out ambition for the state to own nighttime economy, make it a priority of government, um now and forever. That's the advantage of it. So, mm-hmm. your listeners want a, a bit of a, a skate through those six. I'm happy to do it. I've done it about a hundred <laughs> times for stakeholders and. Uh, <laughs> And and um, I know you've had a big night last night, Luke. So you know I'm uh, happy. I'm happy to, to do the heavy lifting on this podcast. Thanks for that calling awesome. that out, Michael. I appreciate it. It was my uh, my cousin's 50th birthday last night. So anyway, it was good enjoying Sydney in the way that you would like it to be enjoyed uh, last night. So, mate, so let's go through the noise thing because that that as you said, it's like the crowd favourite. But it's also for anyone who's ever operated a venue that generates noise, and there are many. You know, when you do run into issues, it is a very challenging process, you know, because you are 
you know, traditionally have been at the mercy of the person who is complaining and you tend to find, like I've always got a, a, a few people like, to a very, you know, serious point where there were a number of noise complaints coming from different directions, whether it be across the water or from people behind us, and, and you felt like you were beholden to the person making the complaint and you didn't really have much of a um, much recourse in terms of um, what you could do apart from responding. You know, you, you're always on the back foot. But what's, what's changed? What, what, what's the update on you? So, as I get before I get into it, the key things to understand about this are, firstly, that there's no jurisdiction in the world that has nailed managing noise complaints. Like, it's, it, we had a conference last year and top issue for everybody from New York, London, Berlin, everywhere is how do you, and what it relates to really is conflicting land use. And my own um, crib note on this is the more expensive the real estate the more likely you get likely to get into noise um, and sound conflict because everyone wants to be in the same spot. So that's the residential business, et cetera. So it's a good to just lay that out at the beginning. And also the reforms I'll talk you through aren't um, the only aspect to how we get to a city where we embrace uh, live performance and don't think about it as noise, right? So this is one part of a multi-pronged approach. So in really explicit terms, when it comes to noise management from licensed venues, up to seven agencies previously might have had a say about noise and sound management. And the problem with that is that it's confusing for everybody, including the complainant. And so, and and obviously, if you are a vexatious complainant, um, it gives you a number of avenues of an approach to try and impact a venue. So. What is happening is liquor and gaming are taking on um, responsibility for noise and sound management for patron noise that comes from licensed venues. So that's the change. So patron noise or any noise? Patron entertainment noise. The things that would otherwise be picked up by the um, Environmental Protection Act, for example, if you want to go jackhammer your venue in the middle of the day because you are needing to change the dance floor or whatever it is, that will still go to you know, the relevant um, EPA basically. But when it comes to the class of things that tend to impact um, uh, venues, i.e. the music's too loud, um, patrons walking, having a good time. And what the um, liquor and gaming team will do is apply the first, this is the key pieces. Firstly, you can't be a single complainant. There has to be five people get together and say, we have an issue here. So, and they can't all live in one house. Um, they've got to be from different different um, premises. There has to be a genuine attempt to resolve the complaint with the venue prior to um, coming to the uh, regulatory body. And oftentimes it turns out that people don't necessarily, and the licensees don't necessarily engage, so why don't you just kind of help that discussion, shut the door, close the window, think about sound, all these things, you know, there are potentially solutions because oftentimes venues want their neighbours to be happy because their neighbours are their customers, right? So these are, and the, there's a good example in the moment with the Eltham Hotel where exactly that type of thinking is happening. And then after that, then the uh, liquor and gaming team can give consideration to, or gives consideration to the order of occupancy. So i.e. who was here first and in particular, if it, was a pub or a performance space that's been there for a hundred years, etc. This is the Hope Town example, like or others. Then it's well that's been there, and it was reasonably foreseeable that that venue would be producing live music at some point. So, you know, welcome to Sydney. Like, is the, is the you know we 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 see a place in our society for cultural gatherings and people getting together and live music. Here's a sensible regime. That's kind of the main. That's the 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 change that um, is not in place yet. It's um, the law's been passed. Um, there's a bit to do on the implementation of that because currently councils and others have um, say in noise management, but that will be implemented um, early next year. So if I frame this question correctly and get it straight in my head, but like if, if, in, in just relating to the, if I was the first kind of approach, if you were, say I, I'm putting a lease on it, venue and I want to have live music and there's obviously residents already in place and I'm taking other venues that didn't previously have live music. Am I in a compromised position because I'm there after the residents and I'm planning to change the use of the business? No? It doesn't matter if you that venue hasn't been performing live music for a while, like so, which is the case, right? Because what's happened, in fact, is that because of the previous regime, 
a lot of places have stopped doing live music. So if the if, if we're talking about the case where here's a venue, let's call it the Annandale Hotel, for example, um, famed live and music venue, it's stopped doing live music. Now someone buys a place next to it today and then tomorrow Annandale starts up live music again. They can do that because that pub has been there for longer than the person who's bought the house has bought the house. And the fact that they've only just picked up live music again is uh, reasonably foreseeable, but that, that's what would happen because you move next to a pub. Um, there are some nuances around the time that you can do it to. Um, so you, you may not be able to perform through to three in the morning, but I think that the concept at least is that, you know, it doesn't matter if you cease doing it. It's reasonable foreseeable that a, a pub would do or bowling club or whatever it is could put on performance. They can do it. For a new entrant into like a site that hasn't had live music, like a brand, like a new build, like I, I take on a new space and it's never been a live music venue before, you still have the ability to produce sound. If it's a new space, right, if it, the order of occupancy thing may not be in your favour. So if, 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 for example, you took on a, a, a hairdressing salon and turned it into a small bar and started doing live music for it, then a neighbour... It, it, like because it was was not unless it was at some point previously, but if it was just a normal piece of commercial real estate, then that order of occupancy would not necessarily be in your favour. But it still means that five complainants, not one. It still means mediation, not straight to, and it still means liquor and gaming are the regulator. So it's not you know as I say, these use cases will come about and I think one of the key messages I wanted to get across today is that the door is open, right? And it's up to the sector to push it now. Like as in in the not in a um negative sense, but to, you know, embrace the reforms, go through the process. If they're not working, then re engage with government and say, well hang on a sec, this still isn't working for this reason. And then, you know, the, we're here to go, right, well, we've had a go. What did we learn from it? And go again, really. The whole idea is to try and create more certainty for venues. And ultimately, if you create more certainty, then, um, you know, uh, people will invest more in their um, businesses. And that means better customer experience, which means the war against the couch, um, we're in better shape of winning. I think it's a fair right? really. Like, if you're going to give better uh, opportunity or, um, and with the operators who are existing, like, and, and you know, maybe more, more in the operator's favour in those instances where they are creating noise and they were there first. It's probably fair that if someone's entering a, a, an area where there wasn't noise before and they start creating it, that, that you know, they have to comply. One, two, three, four. The thing that is, it, it sort of doesn't stop there, and it's a very neat segue into the second reform piece, which is this vibrant coordinated precinct. So let me talk to you about that, um, because I guess it is a different situation where you have a standalone venue in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of resi. Like that's one situation, right? Like what um, the special entertainment precinct model or the vibrant coordinated precinct stuff is about is councils having the ability to identify areas where they want entertainment. Like, so oftentimes we've developed the place in a um, haphazard way. So you end up with all this mixed-use development, residences on top of businesses, and then someone goes and puts in some music and they go, hang on a second, I've got residents up above. Enmore Road is the first um, special entertainment precinct in New South Wales under the existing legislation before we changed it. The changes coming through with this um, suite of reforms enhance and strengthen the framework for special entertainment precincts. And what's different is that the council basically designates an area and goes like, well, this is where the action's going to be. And guess what? In this action, later trade and more noise are likely. So to take your example of a hairdresser, um, that commercial premises, well, if it's in a special entertainment precinct, the overall concept is that this is an area for entertainment. Council's designated it. We've gone through a process with residents to say, this is this is this is where the action is, um, and so in that uh, in that area again, liquor and gaming become the 
you know, the, the, are the regulator for the special entertainment precinct, again, in respect of licensed venues, um, with a higher threshold um, for those complaints. So the councils will set the sound standards and and we, it's a bit, this is a bit work in progress because, we've, you know, we now need to go and see this happen. But w- what in concept should be the case is that if the decibel limit was here, like for one venue, when you have a number of venues trading, it's the higher overall sound um, standard for the area. In which case, like, yeah, there can still be complaints, but the overall, um, you know, area is where, where where it's just a bit louder because people are going out. So that is um, one of, the, I think, the most interesting parts of this legislative reform piece. And already councils um, across um, Greater Sydney are looking at this. Um, Woolara, oh, I guess I get confused. Um, I think it's Waverley Council, sorry. Um, have already passed a resolution that the council wants to investigate a special entertainment precinct for Bondi Junction to kind of re, um, uh, regenerate, I guess, um, an otherwise um, an area that at one point did have, was a bit more busy. Um, I'm sure that you've, you've had one or two nights there um, back in the day. I remember the, when the Eastern opened, uh, fondly. These are statewide reforms. And so, you know, some of the areas where you'll see this are places like Tamworth, uh, as an example, in a regional area where um, you know they want to, they want to be famous for music, and um, you know how do you go about it? Well, a lot of this is around getting community support and them putting in the right safety standards and sound standards and traffic and all the rest of it. And so I think that so so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, well, where are these precincts going to be? It's all for discussion. Like, and you can go to your council and say, hey, for this reason, this group of businesses in this area. Uh, we think that our area should be a special entertainment precinct and put it on council to to investigate that. It won't be uh, straightforward because the um, learnings from lockout were that if you uh, concentrate a lot of people, get them to do one type of activity and then not think carefully about transport, you may end up with bad outcomes. And that's that's King's Cross of 2012-2014 area. Mm. What we want is a good range of these areas all having a different identity. So it's not just about um, boozing it up. It's about like cultural experience and that can vary. It can be live music in this area. It could be, you know, Howden Street, La Camera in another area. It could be, you know, these different um, versions of nightlife. And then what I need to do in my role and I have the um, obligation on is making sure that these precincts, as they come into existence, we keep that balance. So I monitor them and make sure that the, you know, the, spending and the mobility and the people coming in that you don't see a corresponding increase in in antisocial behavior yeah and this is the the piece of the statutory appointment which um has me calling it the never again lockout law because if we see an area starting to undergo issues then it's on me to convene my colleagues across government and work out what the issues are and then make a recommendation about how to you know best manage it and, you know, what would that look like? Well, it may be better transport. It may be like a, a temporary halt on the creation of new licences for the area while we put in transport solutions. Like, who knows, really? But you have a sensible conversation about it as opposed to the media arcing up and then next minute, you know, as happened in 2014, the government making a decision to implement lockout without regard to all the evidence. And I really want to get one message across to your listeners or the listeners is that, you know, it is to me the whole reason why I took this role. And, you know, I tried to keep out of some of the policy things around the statutory appointment because it's me, but I really wanted to ensure that all the effort that campaigners have put in to get rid of lockout, we didn't go back. And when you look at the history on it, it's really clear. 1810 was the first lockout that went into Sydney. The second uh, we, we, we've lifted it again in 1854. It came back down again in 1916 and so on and so forth. This puts it permanently into government. It says it's a priority of government and we will work on our city and our state to ensure that we get the balance right. Like say, so, you know, for me, it's been all worth to play for to get us to this level. And hopefully I can now work within government to achieve, to achieve that balance as we, as, as we see the city come back to life and, you know, you, you were out last night, I've been out and you can, Sydney can go um, from it's relatively quiet to it's very busy because we've got a large population and when once something's a thing, it can become a, th- a thing very quickly um, because of that. And, you know, what we want to do is to make sure that as we re-invent and as we embrace a new generation, 
we don't make the same mistakes that we've made before. I can't uh, decide which direction to go next because there's a many um, that have come to mind. But yeah, you referenced Dave Campbell. I know we spoke about this the other day, but no one else is listening to this was there. Um, you're obviously a New South Wales appointee, not a Sydney appointee. How did your work translate across the, you know, places like Tamworth to Orange to other, you know, smaller regional cities that still would be presented with some of the challenges that we have in Sydney in terms of, you know, Main Street, like I know Orange, all my parents live there, so that's why I reference it. There's a number of pubs there that have got a really good late night um, kind of um, culture there with, you know, people wanting to go out and have a good time. What, what impact are you seeing um, through the office in those kinds of locations? Yeah, so I guess um, for, for our, our office, we originally set up only for Greater Sydney and then um, with the incoming election commitments, we expanded our remit to cover um, Newcastle, Wollongong, the Central Coast in addition. This law reform um, makes it clear that the role is um, statewide and so and that was one of the amendments that was moved by uh, the now opposition under Kevin Anderson, who's a shadow minister, and embraced by uh, by the government. So, again, for those uh, who followed the story, the best bit about all of this is it's been bipartisan. Like, it's been universally embraced by the by both sides of politics and, and the crossbench and the Greens. So, and that's, we've got this moment in time now to keep it that way and produce great results. So, in terms of... Um, the statutory piece, it's made clear that it is for, you know, regional New South Wales in addition to Greater Sydney. In practice, what we've, and, and the laws and so forth that we reformed are for the whole of the state. What it means really is what programs within our office, i.e. the initiatives that we conduct, we now have the um, licence to take them beyond six cities and into the regions. Special Entertainment Precinct 1 is probably the one that will come to life most quickly because it's a it's a pretty sensible concept for a high street really like that's what it is it's basically going you know these high streets let's just call them high streets and say that this is what they're for you know before we go and smash resi in on top and then end up in a pickle like we did um in sydney and then uh i guess in terms of um one of the other initiatives that isn't part of the reforms that we've just um also done is a lot of this really relates to councils embracing 24-hour economy thinking or nighttime economy thinking and all too often, and mainly because it's just not understood, right? nightlife is just not understood, a lot of political responses tend to be um, tactical, like, oh, let's go and try that, and it didn't work. And that's because for this to work, a council needs a plan, in much the way the same way the state government's got a plan. It needs to say, we want nighttime economy or 24-hour economy, and we're going to work towards it. If they don't do that, then, like, it's at the end of the day, they're the ones that manage that conflicting land use, right? So we have a separate program for local councils, which is a, and a toolkit, local council acceleration toolkit. It's about to be, uh, we're just about to republish it online and we've just been conducting workshops for councils in the last week, really pushing them in the direction of all the things they need to think about to take their LGA from where it is to where they want it to be. So... You know, and at the end of the day, like, I think um, that venues and, you know, I'm conscious of our listenership, it's mainly, you know, venues or supply chain. The reality is you get good um, businesses where the community embrace the business. Like, that's that's what we've always got to remember, right? And, like, so it's not to say that, you know, the high street of, I don't know, a town needs to trade 24 hours a day. What is the acceptable limit? 11, 12, 1, but let's agree that with the community and then, like, yeah, like well, that, 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 that will produce a better commercial outcome than, you know, it being 10 o'clock because no one had the conversation and anything after that gets a noise complaint, you know. Mm. It doesn't need to be five in the morning. It can be midnight, right? But you can, or it can be midnight two nights a week. These are the kinds of conversations that the council needs to have and using the special entertainment precinct model as a catalyst, I think they will. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like common sense, you know, like it's kind of just about managing expectations on both sides. If you're a resident that is there, uh, and you know it's trading till 12 and you know you're going to have noise and you're, and you're aware of that leading uh, into a night when they're going to trade like that, it's easier to um, accept. But if you, then if you don't, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like if, if you know what you're in for, 
you know what you, you know what's going to come. You have like an issue with it. What's on the agenda for next year? I mean, you, you, you mentioned this is not the end of it. Obviously, there's going to be more objectives and more to come next year. What Can you call out any sort of key target areas that you're focusing on? I've covered a bit of, um, you know, the main pillars of that reform. The other one is just locking in some of the alfresco um, dining stuff and making it permanent, um, which is and, and allowing for a complying development process on land like that's we're just making that permanent basically so that that'll also take come into effect the other part of it is just finding better ways to shut streets um for music festivals and other festivals without incurring significant costs and so you know if if you're going to do the same thing three times a year why not just have one process that covers it as opposed to Mm. everyone going through the same madness each time two other aspects of it one is um and i won't go into too much detail but really encourage um a listenership to jump into the liquor and gaming website and look at all the changes that have been made to the liquor act for example extended the small bar standard trading period i think that they can now trade from 10 a.m in the morning if they if they wish to uh you've got to apply but like you can now do that which is the opportunity for brunches and things like that for the small bar community based um there's um standardization of of trading hours generally some of this is just about setting up a more sensible <laughs> regime that reflects modern you know, modern practice. So why should Sundays be different to any other day of the week? This type of thinking. There's a whole bunch of things in there. One of the ones that I, I was uh, I think is a sleeper, but um, is really important is and having spoken to a lot of um, venues who've been hit with fines over the time, is that liquor and gaming now have the ability to issue improvement notices as an alternative. So rather than um, it being a you're in breach, here's the breach, fine. Yeah it's a we're going to issue an improvement notice and that can be supported i think by what they call enforceable undertaking i'm not a specialist on this so it's worth checking out the website but it's basically here's the issue you agree to fix it we're not going to find you and and what i like about this is it's the thing which we can see a change of you know teaching styles right like one is Mm. you failed go back to base ours is the, the approach i'd like to see here really is we're we want you to be successful this is what you need to do to do that like that's yeah. and you know if i remember one of the first podcasts i had with you years ago we talked about the compliance mindset in venues taking over from the customer experience um mm-hmm. mindset and i'm not saying that this alone will fix that but it's a good sign and good signaling from government that we want venues to be successful we're offering you extended trade if you're doing live music um we've got things like uh, this um, the ID scanners are being removed from the cross. The whole bunch of things here where it really is a, a new tone set for um, the city. I think that's, uh, not to cut you off, I, I think that's incredibly important. Like uh, as a former operator of a venue that had significant attention from licensing, you know, the approach was to breach first. There was not much uh, dialogue entered into. And, and, you know, all we wanted um, during that period was to have some kind of Word. not necessarily collaboration, but at least some kind of guidance around what they expected to see from us and, and a working relationship as opposed to a, um, uh, an enforcement relationship. So, again, I, I think that's, it's not a small, that's not a small thing. I don't think the fact that they can come and actually work with you and show you what they expect from you without you having to be breached to learn the lesson. Yeah. So the other thing is um, one consultation process as opposed to two. Um, so we've cut like the double consultation that used to happen for DAs and liquor licenses um, to back-to-back periods, everyone getting consulted twice. Why do that? Why just not consult everyone once? So again, that's at least 30 days saved off time. And I get that we still need to process these things. And for me, every minute of vital capital is a bad minute. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, speed that up. The other um so there's a whole bunch of things um around liquor licensing um but what i in, in terms of segueing into what's happening next year as i said there was a bit i mean to be honest the process that we ran in government was what what changes can we pull through let's prioritize them for impact and ease and then 
what we haven't been able to get through on this occasion, we'll take another look at and, and mm. um, they haven't been forgotten. And so we will um, proceed with that next year. In particular, for those who remember that Liquor and Gaming did a um, detailed discussion paper towards the end of last year, what we really want to get to is like a single process for DAs and liquor licenses, like in properly. And it's complicated because there's 128 councils and so DAs in every whatever make it hard. But, um, you know, that um, is under consideration. There's also some of the issues that came up in that discussion paper in liquor um, that haven't been implemented are going to be looked at again. Um, so, so that is, um, I, I guess, taking a step back from it, What's my message? My message is that New South Wales government, we are trying to enhance the operating conditions for venues, um, make things easier, quicker, um, but without compromising the safety. And also working with health and other health advocates who have very valid points to make about harm that comes from alcohol. And so, you know, these it's, make, it's important that we make sure that the changes that we're putting through are done in consultation with health in particular and also police. Um, um, to, to ensure that we aren't we won't go backwards. The bit that I um, am excited by, I touched on at the beginning of the podcast, is um, is this night worker thing um, because mm. <laughs> for, for two reasons. One is I think it I think actually actually it's been a blind spot. Like we haven't we've talked about it a bit mainly through the context of I'm an artist. I finish my gig and where do I go and get a steak or whatever, right? Like mm. which is valid. Um, but there's a huge. I mean in the Nighttime Economy Forum we held here this year in May, the Nightmare of London said that 33, 30-odd to 33% of London's workforce work at night. And I, I immediately went, well, how much of our workforce works at night? And, you know, shame on me, I don't know the number. So we're, we're um, working with the ABS to put that into the national census. We're doing a whole bunch of things so that we can start understanding how, I guess we have a 20% of our workforce working at night, like based on that London number, at least 20%. Think about hospital workers like the health sector, freight and logistics, hospitality, et cetera. Um, yeah. And, so, and I, I genuinely think, and every time I walk past, um, you know, I've had, a, <laughs> has been my, my own best year on health. And um, once you have an issue or two and you're in the hospitals, you really start um, being grateful for, the level of health service we have in this state. But every time I see uh, a nurse coming off shift, I think she could do with a beer right now or a glass of wine right now and she can't have one. Maybe she doesn't need that, but he needs that. But, but there's an element to where, you know, what, why have we thought about the city only for the day and then accepted that you've, you're, you just have to compromise if you work at night. And, um, mm. and it, it relates back to the penal colony thinking and that bad things happen at night. So we've been, um, mandated to really interrogate this next year and the byproduct of all of this um if i get a side benefit from it it's because um the thing that peeves me in my job right like and i'm it's my job to be a punching bag right everyone's got a, an issue they got to tell me about it but the one that annoys me the most if i can say is when people go up and go you know i was out the other night and i couldn't find anything to eat at you know two in the morning or one in the morning or midnight right and um my response is well how often do you go out looking for food at that time? And of course they're like, Oh, well, maybe once a year or uh, twice a year. And I might, so think about the economics of that. What you're asking is someone in the private sector to take a risk on you coming out once a year. And for some, and you you have this entitlement to having food on your doorstep. Right. And, um, I'm glib about it because what I know is that people like school house, all the restaurants trade through to midnight, um, is, Golden Century has been replaced by Royal Palace Seafood. Like some of these things are now coming back, right? As demand picks up. But the bit about this night worker thinking is that as we solve for the night worker, we'll solve for the occasional reveler, like that person, because we will start thinking about bakeries that are already baking bread at two or three in the morning. Well, why can't they start serving bun mees alongside that or meat? Pot? Like, you know, we just haven't thought about it that way. And so, if you can create, so some of the key districts for this are, um, and we're seeing it at places like Ramwick, where you've got a um, major hospital, a major university, um, and other areas where you know you've got the right conditions. Um, these are some of the, around Newtown Airmore as well. You've got um, the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and students. So there's just a great opportunity for us to 
um, really interrogate this amenity piece, I think. And and it goes back to fundamentally why um, in the debate of is it nighttime economy versus 24-hour economy, when you take a 24-hour economy view of the world, you start thinking about a 24-hour airport, you start thinking about our ports, you start thinking about our road usage and about how to optimise traffic we don't want trucks traveling through prime commuter time during the city because it clogs the roads. Can't we shift them tonight? Why can't we? These types of questions, you know, are the things that I think will come out of the nighttime worker mission. Big stuff, Michael. How tired are you, Maya? It's funny, like, um, I, I'm conscious of um, when I, it's not about me, right? But the thing is that even just in talking about some of these changes and, and night workers and things like, um, it just energizes me. Like I'm pretty tired, but I almost can't wait to get my teeth into some of these agendas. And I was thinking about this coming on the podcast because, as much as you've, conf- I've confessed to the audience that you've been out late last night. I've donned my um, original Keep Sydney Open T-shirt, which, um, as as you can see, is in a state well worn. <laughs> I think sometimes am I just a bit of a angry brown man wanting to make change and maybe there's a bit of that um but where it comes from is just i i don't i don't like seeing you know people having a different experience for no good reason or like not having the same opportunity for no good reason and whether that's um you know small bars that can now under these reforms um you know still or restaurants still do take away uh wine and stuff with meals or or um you know like the night worker discussion we went through, all the amenity of the city. Like these things, I think, are um, things that fire me up really about. And and I want, I want, what do I want? I want by the end of my time for Sydney, New South Wales, to be the destination of choice for anyone wanting to work at night. Like that's, and you and I think about this. Um, uh, you know, the hospitality brand for, uh, sorry, the yeah. worker brand and so forth. Like. I'm not saying that this particularly will fix it, but I do know that um, a week ago I was sitting, sat in PS40 and Mikey Chiem introduced me to a bartender who's just arrived here from Manchester. And uh, and I said, why Sydney? And she's like, where else would you be? Like if you were coming, you know, in the trade yeah. into Australia. And I just want to see that whether it's a nurse or a um, student or an engineer like uh, who – is asked to work at night. I want them to have that same affinity with with our city. You, um, yeah, I mean, mate, you, this is the time of year where it really, uh, I guess, uh, you can breathe the impact that vibrancy has on individuals and the city as a whole. Because you know, like, like we were out at, in this city on Wednesday, I think it was for lunch, and also Tuesday there was heating, and it just if you could have that kind of experience all the year round where there is a level of energy and enthusiasm for being around the city and being out and enjoying it for what it can be, you know, what it's like right now at Christmas when everyone's out. If you had that all year round, it actually, the flowing impact of individuals, I think, are pretty significant because it, it, it just has a different energy, you know. You, you enjoy living a bit more because you're in a, an environment that is um, energetic and fun and, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a bigger topic than many people realise, I think. I, um, there's a, the thing um, that I do uh, when I'm out and about, which I, I hope it doesn't come across as stalkery, right? But like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, I um, <laughs> like there was uh, a couple of um, revelers who were trying to get a cab, <laughs> trying to get a cab home, and uh, the first first one turned them away, and I um, I, I started interceding with the driver, and then. And it, long, long story short, I ran down and chased down another cab for them and, um, and they were really grateful. But I just love it when people have a great time in the city, you know. And so um, when I'm out and about, I uh, I just do what you guys have done behind the bar for years, which is just look out for people and um, and try to help them have a good time. That does come at me trying to persuade people into their next drink or uh, their next social event. But, uh, <laughs> I do get I do I do get a kick out of people having a great time in Sydney, and I think anyone in my role should. And I think that a lot of people in government these days are starting to think that way. And um, I think yeah. uh, I'm excited by that. Well, I'm going to throw um, something at you that is unplanned, but thing is you are a guest on your own podcast and 
Uh, it's been roughly six years. Is that right? <laughs> Since the first time we were a guest on this podcast, the previous iteration. I'm asking you the final five, Michael. That's where we're going with this. I know where this is going. I do know where this is going, though. Um, okay. So here we go. You are unprepared for this, but I want to hear the answer. So what is your favourite book that you've recently read or podcast that you listen to? I am uh, going to give a shout-out to um, my mate, Tim Burrows, who is was the editor of Mumbrella, but now is the um, – started another business called unmade and i for shame um and just kind of quickly got look up his book because he gave it to me the other day um yes it's called australia's media australian media's most disruptive decade a book by tim burrows and um i'm looking forward to reading that over the break and the reason is that um one of the aspects of this whole discussion that we're having is that media plays such a big part in consumer behavior and habits and our media model here is still out of whack somewhat with what people are actually doing. So that is my, uh, my summer reading. Okay. Uh, favorite album or artist right now? I don't know if you want to call out who is number one on your Spotify rap. But well, I mean, uh, you mine was tangled, uh, the soundtrack. Mine was, um, not, not, which just shows that I need to, um, to have my own account as opposed to my daughter's, uh, <laughs> but, but Taylor Swift top mine this year. But, um, I, um, I'm going to do a couple of shout outs. One is uh, that I'm off to see Harry Connick Jr. tonight, which uh, is, yeah, right. I can't wait. He's uh, been a fave for a long time. And again, I play the piano, um, nowhere near as good as him. Um, but uh, one of the things when, is that years ago, he he did a gig and then rolled, I think, across the wine bank and did an after show. And we don't have that culture in Sydney anymore. And this live music agenda that we're now on, like, is really about bringing back these grassroots venues. And I think um, one just opened the other day here, Trocadero in Newtown, Passan opened that 150 people, two doors down from the Enmore Theatre, 3 a.m. licence is going to be great. By the way, Caterpillar Club's opening um, by the time this podcast will come out, which is um, the old men's gallery site in uh, Sydney, and that's a schoolhouse venture, um, 3 a.m., seven days a week, and room to go to five if needed. So excited by that. So Harry Connick Jr. But the one that um, my new artist discovery is uh, Ryan Park, a.k.a. Dobby. He's a um, Blacktown... Aboriginal and Filipino um, um, chap that we attended a gig, an incredible gig in um, YCK the other day um, that was pulled together by Carl Schlotthauer and Viv Abler. And it was something else. It was something else. It's that um, a Blacktown story in the heart of the city, a courtyard, um, incredible uh, performance, incredible artist, um, but telling a story of our rivers and waterways that, resonates deeply with, um, you know, our challenges with sustainability and climate at the moment. So a big shout out to Dobby as well. Yeah, nice. I'm 99% sure I know the answer to this one, but your favourite drink right now? Well, (laughs) the thing I'm going to add to it, um, Luke, is that um, what I worked out when it comes to uh, my preferred drink is that a touch of of sparkling um, water or soda um, in a Negroni just takes it to another level. And I discovered yeah, this right. down in Apollonia where because it's on tap, they use gas to get the, um, yeah. whichever, I don't know the gas, but, but basically it's slightly aerated and it's, ju- it's just worth a try. Like um, just that uh, tingling on your tongue with a Negroni is probably. Um, sparkling Negroni. Sparkling Negroni. Okay. Uh, Favourite venue. Where would you go right now if you could? Uh, this is the I've I've done such a good job of um throwing in venue suggestions um all through uh this evening's uh, sorry this uh, this podcast um, so I am um it's for me it's um I always answer this with the one I haven't been to yet and um you know the one that um I'm desperate to get to is now and then which is Natalie Ung she's opened up a second venue um in Clarence Street in the city now and then it's called and I'm yeah um keen to go uh check that out uh in terms of um uh where i've been eating recently um where where, where haven't where haven't i been eating recently it's uh, been a very busy uh, month but uh, <coughs> like the, the 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 best meal i've had this year is without a doubt it was that uh lana um upstairs yeah right just um I, it was a they do a sort of um, prefix model, but they allow you to add on top of the prefix. 
And um, they, you know, they've got like, a, it's, it's quite a good concept, but there's like 10 or 12 dishes that you can throw in on top. So, um, yeah, that's a, that, that was my favourite meal of 2023. Yeah, wow. Big shout out. And finally, who in the industry are you most inspired by? I think that this is going to sound um, self-serving, but I had a very um, first fractious interaction with um, the now minister, John Graham, when we first met because I had quite a distrust of politics and um, didn't really understand it in the context of the campaign work that we were trying to achieve. And I guess over the period of five or six years, I've begun to understand better how it all fits together. And um, I think people are surprised at the amount of energy and output that I have, um, but I'm barely keeping up with how hard the minister is going on behalf of the sector right now. I know that might, may sound a bit self-serving, but, you know, he what he does well is he he listens. So he actually goes out. He's not sitting behind a desk. He actually goes out and listens, counsels widely, and then, uh, yeah, he, 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 he collaborates to push things along. And, uh, like, changing the laws, like, is has been remarkable. Like, as I say, I think it's the first time in living memory and probably ever that the sector's had this, you know, reform work. Yeah. I think that, you know, I just have to acknowledge how much energy he's put into it and um, and how and how he's brought people together, including recognising the work of the former government, which I do as well. Um, so the previous minister, Minister Ayers, you know, got us started, but Minister Graham's, um, you know, really come in and lifted it. So... I don't know that, like in terms of, you know, the you see the most inspiring person, but definitely he's played such a major role. I think it would be wrong for me not to call that out. Um, and I, and, I, and it's quite heartfelt. Yeah, nice. Um, that's it. You're off the hook there, sir. How did, how did I do on those improved questions? I was feeling the pressure. I was feeling the pressure. <laughs> I think you did okay, I think you're uh, pretty well versed in building questions and answers on the spot after uh, – Excellent. uh, I mean, um, well, I hope you have a good break and thanks for all your work. I know that you've been working behind the scenes on some of the um, major issues around reputation for the hospitality sector. And, you know, it's, um, we need, we need people at all levels picking on particular challenges and helping us solve for them. So appreciate that as well. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, Cool. Well, thank you. I will surely chat in for the end of the year, but um, yeah, thanks for your time. All right. Cheers, bud. Yeah, mate. Bye. Yeah.